Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are watching online. We are so glad that you are with us in our study of God's Word this morning. Today, we're going to finish up our February series entitled Generous. Next Sunday, we're going to start a new series called The Power of a Whisper, Hearing God and Having the Guts to Respond. And there are three parts to this. There are the sermons that will lead right up to uh, Easter Sunday, four, there's five Sundays in uh, March, and so the first four will be doing this series, and then it'll build up to Easter Sunday. So the first part is just the messages that I'll be preaching on Sunday morning. Then along with that, there's a book called The Power of a Whisper by Bill Hybels, a tremendous pastor out of Chicago. Really encourage you to get a hold of this, either at the Resource Center or one of the tables out in the lobby. There's a little bookmark that comes with it that'll tell you what chapters to read before the sermon uh, Sunday by Sunday. So I'd encourage you to go along with me on this. And then if you look on page seven in your PFB Weekly, you'll see the small groups and the Bible classes that'll be joining along with us on this as well. And so I would encourage you to attend one of those just for the next four weeks, just for the next four Sundays. So then we'll get layered learning. And they say that uh, that's the most powerful thing for life change is to have three different things going on at the same time. We're reading this in our daily quiet times, our time alone with God. We're hearing the messages on Sunday morning and then interacting with other Christians in the classes there as well. Now, if you already got one of these books ordered through your class, this is the same book I'm talking about that's out in the lobby. So you don't need to buy another one of those. You've already gotten it through your class, but really encourage you to do all three parts of that so that you'll get the most out of it. Now, as we finish up our series entitled Generous, we're going to put a verse up here that Jesus said 2,000 years ago. Jesus said, it's very famous for him, uh, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's read this out loud uh, together. It is more blessed to give than to receive. One of the character traits of a follower of Jesus is they are to be generous because we follow the one who said it's more blessed to give uh, than to receive. Now, this seems a little bit random, but I was speaking at a pastor's conference up in Idaho for pastors across the Northwest, and a pastor came up and told me about this particular video clip, and there's just this one line that I love out of it that I'd like to apply to this, so let's just watch this together. Guys, what do you got? What do you got? Make a hole! Make a hole! Hey! Make a hole! I got ammo! Grab what you can! Lieutenant, you're a godsend. What's the situation? Well, I heard you guys are coming in. It was an ammo dump, so... Here. Is it just you guys in the 101st? Looks like... What hit you, fellas? Everything. Our crowds had tigers, panthers, SPs, stukas. Artie and infantry just kept on coming. What's your name, Lieutenant? George Rice, 10th Armor. George, son. You got any more mortar around, sir? We're real short. Well, I'll try to make another ammo run if I can, but uh, don't count on anything. Thank you, sir. Panzer Division is about to cut the road south. Looks like you guys are going to be surrounded. We're paratroopers, Lieutenant. We're supposed to be surrounded. Good luck. Thanks. I love that one line, we're paratroopers, we're supposed to be surrounded. And that's the same way with Christ followers. Uh, we're supposed to be generous. We're Christ followers. We're supposed to be generous. That's part of what our calling is. Uh, Cheryl Gardner, the wife of Pastor Randy, gave me this a couple of weeks ago by Jason McNeil entitled, Do You Believe in the Benefits of Giving? We're called to do this for the benefit of others, but there's benefit for us as well. 
Science, this is secular science research, has confirmed all the below statements. Do you believe that giving is an important component of a healthy life? Do you believe that giving stimulates our brains in much the same way that food does? Do you believe that giving reduces chronic pain? Do you believe that giving lowers anxiety? Do you believe that giving increases antibodies in our blood? Do you believe that people who give report feeling stronger and more energetic? Do you believe that giving is as good a stress reliever as any relaxation technique? The research consensus on these topics is clear. Giving of ourselves and our money is good for our physical, psychological, and emotional health. It's almost as if we were hardwired to give. Our human experience is better when we give. Everyday science is opening up new windows into our understanding of how humans function and behave. Our best work occurs when we strategically apply thoughtful understandings of human nature and create environments that promote generosity in others. And that's what we do in the local church as followers of Christ. We create an environment that promotes generosity in others. And secular science is now confirming what Jesus taught us 2,000 years ago. One study published this fall even seems to bear out the biblical wisdom that it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is a secular report on a secular piece of research. It might be too early to know whether increasing what we give will make us happier and healthier. However, this is certainly the implication of the recent work in this area, said Stephanie L. Brown of the Institute for Social Research at the University of Michigan. She and colleagues recently reported that among a group of 123 elderly couples followed for five years, the people who reported helping others were only about half as likely to die as those who did not. Now, this is like the mother of all preacher statistics here, okay? Uh, uh, I I just love this. I mean, it's even better than saying, if you don't give, I'm going to die. Remember Oral Roberts a few years ago, that preacher that went up into a tower and he said, if we don't meet this financial campaign, God said he's going to kill me. I've always been afraid to do that with you guys because you'd be like, well, whatever. I hope our next pastor is a, is a nice guy. So I've, I've never personally taken uh, the, the risk on that. But this is like, this is like so much better. This says, if you don't give, you're going to die. And so, you know, that's like fantastic. I'm, I'm just kidding, kind of, but it's what the research says. Okay, it says, I mean, it's unbelievable that the, the half as many died when they were givers as uh, receivers. Also, in a study of more than 2,000 Presbyterians published this fall in the journal Psycho- Psychosomatic Medicine, Behavioral scientist Carolyn E. Swartz and colleagues reports that improved mental health seem to be more closely linked to giving help than to receiving it. We do better emotionally when we give help than when we receive help. And this is what Jesus has been teaching us for the last 2,000 years. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, as we finish up this series, we're going to look at God's financial plan that works. Our theme verse has been Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. Uh, We do this in so many areas of our life, and yet it sometimes is so hard to do it in this area of our finances. And if we submit to him in this area, like the others, he will make your paths straight. Life is too short to take the long road. How about a financial plan that actually works? We, we release our plan and by faith grab hold of God's plan. This past week, uh, my daughter Abby had a seat at the State of the Union address. 
And she got a call that said, would she be willing to swap her seat with Gabby Giffords, who's the congresswoman from Arizona who was uh, shot in an assassination um, uh, attempt. And she's married to Mark Keller, the Mark Kelly, the um, space commander of the space shuttle, the commander and astronaut of the space shuttle. And she wanted to sit with, uh, Gabby Giffords wanted to sit with her husband. And so they asked Abby if they would trade seats so that Gabby Giffords could sit with her husband. And Abby was totally bummed because she had a great seat to the State of the Union. But how do you turn down Gabby Giffords? I mean, she's like the darling of America right now. Everybody loves Gabby Giffords so she can sit with her astronaut husband. How cool is that couple? And so she begrudgingly swapped seats with her. Well, she gets to the State of the Union. She's got the best seat in the house, right on the front row of the gallery, straight dead center, right in front of the president. And so she gave up her own way and grabbed the new one that she didn't know about. And it ended up being the best seat in the house. And the same thing is true. When we give up our plan, and grab a hold of God's plan. We got the best seat in the house to see God work in our lives and through us in the lives of others as well. This last week, I was talking to one of a handful of horse chiropractors in the world. This guy is a horse chiropractor. Did anybody know that such thing existed? And he had the most interesting conversation, he goes, you know, I used to be just a horse veterinarian. And he says, the horses never liked me. And he had big name horses like Barbado, the famous racing horse. And he had all these famous racing horses that were his clients, as he called them. And he says, when I was just a veterinarian, all the horses didn't like me because I might stick my hand where they didn't want me to stick it. And they might give me a horse. I might give them a shot. So he says, whenever I walked into the stall, they went into the back of the stall and they cringed in fear and they did not like me. Then I began to specialize just in horse chiropractic. And he says, now the horses love me. He says, when I show up, they're like, come on in, give it to me, baby. He says, it's amazing. These big horses, when I manipulate their backs and get them lined up, they're free of pain. And they feel so much better and so much movement. He says, it's the most precious thing. These big old racehorses will just give him a hug. They'll just take their big old head and flop it right on him. He says, it's the most gratifying thing in the world because they're, they're finally free. And the same thing is true when we release our plan and grab a hold of God's plan Finally, it's, it's working. Finally, this thing is working in our lives. Now, the first part of this, it says there in your study outline, is want not. And this is the whole area of contentment, of learning to be content. One of my favorite quotes is, want what you have and you'll have what you want. I found this so helpful in my life. Want what you have and you'll have what you want. If you learn to want what you already have and be content with that, then you'll have everything that you want. You know, this applies in marriage as well. Satan's total trick to married people is to always get them to say, well, what if my spouse were like that one or that one or that one? And so he tempts us to always be dissatisfied, always wanting something different than what we've got. And this applies in marriage as well. Want what you have and you'll have what you want. Learn to appreciate what drew you to that person in the first place. Want what you already have and then you'll have what you want. And so the Bible says to learn to want not, to learn how to figure out how to be content with what we have. Let, let me explain it this way. Say you've got a $48,000 desire, but a $36,000 income. And there's this gap. That's what we call the frustrated life. That's what we call the anxious life. That's what we call, if we try to make up the gap through debt, we call that the indebted life. Well, say your income grows to 48000 a year and you, you keep your desires at 48000 That's what we would call the good life. That, that, that's a good life right there, okay? But if your desires are always just a little bit ahead of your income 
And through life, as your income goes up, your desires keep going up. If that happens, you're, we're always going to be either in debt, trying to make up the gap, or frustrated or anxious. Now, the best of all is if we hold our desires at this level, even as our income goes beyond it, now we have a generosity gap. Now we've got some wiggle room in there for generosity. And this is even better than the good life. This is not the indebted life or the anxious life or the frustrated life. This is even better than the good life because we've got a generosity factor in there. This is what we call the generous life. And this is what Jesus has called us to, to freeze those desires, to hold back on those desires as our income increases, to give us a generosity factor. That's where the fun in the Christian life starts to take place. Colossians 3, Paul writes, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Now, this is fascinating to me because it's a whole list of sexual temptation. And right smack dab in the middle of it is this thing about greed. Now, I hope I'm not reading too much into the scriptures here, but I'd say maybe we need to deal with greed the way we deal with sexual temptation. You know, with sexual temptation, the Bible never says stand and fight. The Bible never says, you know, just pray more against sexual temptation. You know, the Bible has a one-word prescription for fighting sexual temptation. Flee. Run. In the original Greek, it's literally run, forest, run is the the way it is in the original Greek. It's just get out of there. Don't try to pray more. Don't see how strong you could be. Just avoid situations that tempt you sexually. So because greed is in the midst of all the sexual temptation stuff, maybe we should deal with temptation in the same way. Maybe there are certain magazines like Better Homes and Garden that tempt you to be more, tempt us to be more materialistic. And so in the same way with sexual temptation, you avoid Playboy magazine, you avoid Better Homes and Garden. You avoid wandering around a car lot, looking at the brand new cars. Why? Because that's a place of temptation for you. You avoid the shopping network, okay? You avoid that. Why? Because it makes us greedy. It makes us dissatisfied with what we have. It it feeds our materialism. Uh, And we always have to fight that because we get so many uh, cultural messages to the contrary. With the Academy Awards being tonight, uh, I got this from a friend a few years back. I get a big kick out of it. Top 10 things that the movies taught you. Top 10 things in the movie, so I won't read them all, just a few of them. Number 10, when they are alone, foreign military officers prefer to speak to each other in English. Did you, did you ever know that? Number nine, police departments give their officers personality tests to make sure they are deliberately assigned to a partner who is their total opposite. That's what the movies teach us. Number eight, I love this one. A detective can only solve a case once he is suspended from duty. That's the only time it works right there. Here's a chick movie one. I've been doing all guy movies. Chick movie one, number five, all grocery bags contain at least one loaf of French bread, you know, just poking right out of the bag. Back to the guy movies again. Number four, rather than wasting bullets, main Maniacs prefer to kill their arch enemies using complicated machinery, fuses, pulley systems, lasers, and man-eating sharps, which allow their captives at least 20 minutes to escape. Uh, Number two on the list, when you turn off the lights to go to bed, everything in your bedroom will still be clearly visible, just slightly bluish is what will happen. And my favorite one is number one. It does not matter if you are heavily outnumbered in a fight involving martial arts. Your enemies will wait patiently to attack you one by one, dancing around in a threatening manner until you have knocked out their predecessor. Very polite in that way. Well, that's the things the movies teach us. But here's what our culture teaches us to be true. Nothing you have is ever good enough. Every ad we read, 
Every commercial we watch, it's got one message behind it. Nothing you have is good enough. That's why we read better homes and gardens. Nobody wants to read a magazine entitled Homes That Are Uglier Than Yours. Um, although that might be a good therapy. That, maybe we should publish that as a church. Here, fight, fight discontent. Homes that are uglier than yours, you know. Everything uglier than yours. Just go right on through the list, you know. Cars that are uglier than yours. Furniture that's uglier than yours. And I see when I'm content, when I learn to be content, it protects me from the temptation of excessive debt, and it also allows me to be generous. That's what this little book we've been pushing, The Treasure Principle. It's all just stuff. It's all just stuff, and it's going to fade away. Uh, Ken Hall is a part of Purpose Church in Claremont, and here's what he discovered and how he acted on reading The Treasure Principle. Let's watch this together. The Treasure Principle specifically helped me understand better how to be disciplined with what the Lord has given me. When we heard the church wanted to be debt-free, we wanted to know what can we do to that and uh, we wanted to be able to give more specifically to get the church out of debt. My wife and I felt we, God will honor us standing by the principle of being out of debt and having the church out of debt. I'm an avid fisherman and an avid uh, hunter. Fly fishing specifically, I, I have very expensive fly fishing things. The Lord had spoken to me about a year into the process that, Ken, you need to release this. You're, you're, you're boasting about what you have. And, and I, I shook it off for a while and shook it off for a while. And finally, I looked at my wife just out of the blue and said, "Hun, I've got to sell my fishing and hunting stuff. And I think she about fell off her chair. I posted it. It probably was less than 48 hours. It was all gone. I handed the cash to my wife and that just went to paying more debt down. And I actually, at that moment, the light hit me that it's just stuff. It was stuff I liked, but it was just stuff. And being in debt... And having stuff, the stuff didn't mean that much to me. The debt was more important to me. We're proud to talk about a prayer warrior. You know, we're, we're proud to talk about an evangelist. But when it comes to tithing, it seems as though uh, the church wants to be quiet on that. And what, what's wrong in a, in a humble way to say we're going to help out in a specific way or give a, to a specific reason? Uh, I think we need to be... Uh, more vocal on that, but not in a boastful way. Why kill desire? Number one, the Bible says desire will ruin you. First Timothy 6, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, usually it's a debt trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Number two, desire will abandon you. First John chapter 2, the world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God is going to live forever. Heard a pastor once say that five minutes after you die, you will know exactly how you should have lived your life. That sent a chill right down my spine. Five minutes after we die, we will know exactly how we should have lived our lives. I just want to ask you a question. Do you really want to die without ever trying God's way? Do you ever just want to in the grip of fear from releasing your own plan and grabbing a hold of God's plan? Do we really want to die without ever trying God's plan in a variety of different areas of our life? But today we're particularly talking in the area of generosity. Now, how do you kill desire? First of all, you wear Christ. 
Romans 13, rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. We learn to delight in the things of the Lord. Not just saying, I'll have my quiet time where I read my Bible and pray and check it off the list and now I get on to the fun stuff of the day. But learning to delight in that. Learning to delight in worship. Learning to delight in the study of God's word. Christian fellowship, serving God, serving others, sharing Jesus with other people. Learning to delight in those things and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Don't even think about it. Stay away from the magazines that feed materialism or the shopping channel that feeds materialism or the car lot that satisfies, that that feeds our materialism and, and learn to be content. Number three, listen to sound teaching. Second Timothy chapter four, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. This is what we call the health and wealth gospel. The prosperity gospel in which we baptize the materialism and desires of people. God does not want us as an end all to be prosperous. He wants us to be generous. Now he'll make us, he will make us prosperous in order to be generous. But it's not meant to be an end in itself to be prosperous. We are called to be prosperous and God will bless us and he will bring prosperity. But for the purpose that we can be even more generous. Overhaul the cause. The law of cause and effect, my friend Tom Mercer writes, you can choose a cause or you can choose an effect, but you cannot choose both. And this is what leads to frustration in life. We, we want our cause to have God's effect. Our cause will lead to our effect. Only God's cause and doing it his way will lead to God's effect. Next page of your study outline. Proverbs 3, verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth. When you think about it, you honor the Lord in all kinds of different areas of the Christian life. Why not honor him in this area as well with the first fruits of all your crops? Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. That, you do God's cause, here's God's effect, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Malachi 3, bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse. That's God's cause. Then God's effect that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Mark 4, Jesus said, consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Mary Crowley, who's the founder of the Home Interiors and Gifts, used to say, cast your bread upon the waters and it'll come back to you buttered. Cast your bread upon the waters and it'll come back to you buttered. This is why we push Financial Peace University. If you look at um, page two there in your PFB weekly, we're starting another one here in in a few weeks, or I think it's right after Easter. And this is why we want everybody to go through because it gives you the nuts and the bolts as to how to live the generous life. Let's hear from our sound man, Jeremy Reinders, is usually kind of behind the scenes doing our sound here at our Pomona campus. But let's hear from Jeremy and from Tara right now. Well, after taking the class here at the church, uh, we really felt led to take it home to, to our friends that we had from work and, and uh, just people we knew. And we asked about teaching a financial peace class at our house. And uh, we're now in the middle of teaching it a a second time. Mm -hmm. Um, We've had many friends go through the class in our house. Uh, Many of them were young married couples. Uh, Some of them, one couple got married while taking the class. Another another couple, we actually gave financial peace as as a wedding gift that they paid the money 
and we paid them back if they completed the class. We found something that is um, blessed by God to help other people get out of this like slavery of debt. And our kids, you know, see all these friends come to our house and that and you know we talk about this financial stuff with them too they went through dave ramsey jr with us dave ramsey jr uh, with us and um so we've got our chore charts and stuff and um you know they, they're learning to give and to and to save and to spend and and all of that kind of stuff along with us dave ramsey makes it very clear that you give 10 percent back to god and so that was the first thing that we did. Um, 90% blessed by God goes a lot further than 100% of you trying to drug, juggle that and decide when it's okay to give money to God. Direct withdrawal, bill pay, uh, every day on payday. And uh, that was, it, it, it felt better to give it. Even though it'd be nice to write that check every week, we realized that was sometimes a stumbling block. Mm -hmm. And it was better for us to just know that it was coming out of our, our paychecks on payday every week. And uh, it just, it felt, that felt right for us. Well, we never dip into the tithes to pay a bill. Yeah. So that's good. Really is hard to get out of debt. And it's nice to go through the class and get excited about it, to understand the, the underlying reason of why and to see the the giving that comes that can come once you've beyond your tithe once you've paid off all your debt god has an amazing ability to make math work <laughs> i i don't quite understand it sometimes but um he covers everything he covers all, everything that you need and if you he, he can cover everything you need then you're going to want the things he wants for you and he'll cover those too once you catch a glimpse of how god wants you to treat your finances, it becomes this thing that you want to share. Mm -hmm. That we left and went, we have to do this for our friends. You know, we have, we have so many, there are so many people in the world who don't know how God wants them to spend their money that once you take the class, you can't help but want to share that, mm -hmm. which is what led us to do the class at home, was we had so many friends that we thought could benefit mm -hmm. from the, the glimpse that we had of, of the peace that would come from spending money and using money the way God intends it mm -hmm. and not the way we think is right. The law of the harvest, what you sow, you'll eventually reap. Galatians 6, verse 7, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, this is an amazing biblical principle. It, it's supernatural. It's counterintuitive. It's paradoxical. But the Bible has a principle. Whatever you don't have enough of, give some of it away, and you'll get even more coming back to you. I mean, for example, in time. How many of you here don't have enough time to get everything you need to get done in a typical day or a typical week? Well, what you do is here's what you do. You take about 20 minutes in the prime of the day for you. For some people, it's in the morning. Some people, it's lunch break. Some people, it's in the evening. Take 20 minutes, set it aside, spend 10 minutes reading your Bible and 10 minutes in prayer, and I guarantee you'll get more done on that particular day. Don't know how it works out. It just always does. I mean, you guys believe that because you're here this morning. I mean, how many of you have a lot to do this upcoming week? Let me, let me see your hands. How many of you have a lot to do? What are you doing sitting here then? 
Why are you here? Because you've discovered over time that you give God an hour on the first day of the week, and lo and behold, you'll get more done during the week. How many of you have found that to be true? Okay. Um, Energy. How many of us don't have enough energy? Okay. Give some of it away. Find a place to serve other people or to serve God. And you'll find that lo and behold, you have more energy coming back to you. The same thing is true financially as well. Whatever you don't have enough of, give some of it away and even more will come back to you. Now here's another biblical principle. Remember God first. Uh, Back to Proverbs 3 verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits. If you have a pencil or a pen, circle the word first fruits. Now this is a mega theme from cover to cover in the Bible. And along with the theme, whatever you don't have enough of, give some of it away, you'll get even more back, is this other mega theme, whatever you want God to bless, put him first in that area of your life. If you want him to bless your marriage, put him first in your marriage. You want him to bless you as a parent, put him first in that area. You, you want him first in your business, put him first in that. And if you want him first, you want him to bless your finances, put him first in your finances, and he'll bless it. Whatever you want God to bless, put him first in that area, and he will bless it. And then keep the goal in mind. The Bible's standard baseline is the tithe, which means one-tenth. You know, ten cents out of a dollar, dollar out of ten, hundred dollars out of a thousand, and so on. Now, there's always this ongoing debate as to, isn't that part of the Old Testament law? And we could spend all day uh, debating that, but let me just give you my quick answer to that. Is this just something for the Old Testament believer, for the Old Testament law? Well, real quick, just a 60-second overview of that. Genesis chapter 14, Abraham uh, gave God the tithe, and it was 600 years before the law of Moses. Same thing is true in Genesis 28. Jacob uh, gives a tithe to the Lord. It's 500 years before the law of Moses. Leviticus 27, there you have the Old Testament law. But in the New Testament, Jesus affirms the tithe and he never abolishes the tithe. And whatever the Old Testament law that Jesus doesn't abolish, he expands on, he he broadens it. For example, he says, uh, you're not supposed to kill. Thou shalt not kill in the 10 commandments. Jesus takes it even further and says, not only are you not supposed to kill, but you're not supposed to hate other people either. Uh, Thou shalt not commit adultery, one of the Ten Commandments. Jesus expands it to say not only should you not commit adultery, but don't look lustfully at people of the opposite sex. And so he expands it. And the same thing is true with the tithe. It's basically a baseline, a starting point, kind of a a standard baseline. But with New Testament generosity, uh, it is something that guides us, but is not necessarily something it is expanded on as Jesus did in other areas. Now here's the key. Um, and, and this is really the most important thing of this whole series, is just start somewhere. Just start somewhere. Number one, commit to a specific and strategic amount for one year. Just, just start somewhere. Um, and, and maybe it's 1%. Maybe it's 3%. Maybe it's 5%. Maybe the whole 10% tie thing is something you just can't get your mind around. Well, we'll start somewhere. Now, it's interesting. There's a debate going on even between the two books that we've been pushing. I want everybody in our church to read The Treasure Principle. I want everybody in the church to read this book, The Field, Fields of Gold, and both tremendous books. And it's interesting that there's even a debate between these two. Because Randy Alcorn in The Treasure Principle, he would say preaching, you know, what I just did, you know, start somewhere rather than start with the 10%. That's like preaching partial obedience. He would compare that to me saying, if you're committing adultery six times this past year, try to cut it down to three times in the coming year. That, uh, that's what he would say on that. 
Now, um, uh, Andy Stanley agrees with me, and that's why he's right in this particular instance, is that uh, um, he believes it's more like a spiritual discipline uh, rather than uh, an act of um, like a commandment. It's more of a spiritual discipline. So he would say, for example, in a workout, you don't start your workouts by bench pressing uh, 300 pounds the first time you go to the gym. Uh, Same thing with a quiet time. Notice how with new Christians, I always say, start with 15 or 20 minutes uh, of time alone with God every day. Um, So you don't start with like an hour or or so. Now you'll find that as you get into it, you start somewhere, you love it so much, you expand that over time. But you got to start somewhere and build from there. In the area of service, if you volunteer for children's ministry, uh, Pastor Lois wouldn't throw you in a room with 50 third graders and say, I hope this works out for you, you know. No, she'd put you at a table with eight to 10 third graders, and there'd be another teacher in charge, and you would be an assistant. And then over time, maybe you'd begin to teach that small group and maybe eventually the class. And so I believe personally it's that way with giving. Now, don't, you know, be careful on this because the biblical standard is the tithe. And boy, I hate disagreeing. I mean, disagreeing with Randy Alcorn on something in the area of giving is like disagreeing with Billy Graham on how to give an invitation. I mean, it's, it's kind of scary stuff for me. So he believes it's more that way. But I'm, I'm with Andy Stanley. I think this is something where you just get in the game. Just start somewhere. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so you start maybe with 2 or 3%. The average American gives 1 or 2% to charity. Certainly as followers of Christ, we should be ahead of the average American. So I would say start like with 3% or maybe 5%. And if God blesses you doing that, next year go up to 6. And if he blesses you, go up to 7. If he blesses you, the next year go up to 8, 9, 10, and then beyond. Okay? Just start somewhere. Commit to a specific and strategic amount and a percentage. I believe there's great power in a percentage. Not an amount, but a percentage. There, there's something about that. God does speak about that. And that's why he did the percentage of the tithe and not just like a, a set amount. It was fascinating. This is a total aside. But I was watching online uh, the speech of Dr. Ben Carson, famous neurosurgeon, uh, tops in the world. He's the first one that pioneered separating conjoined twins. Just an amazing man. On fire Christian. Spoke at the presidential prayer breakfast. And, uh, and he said the most interesting thing. He said um, uh, he compared God's tithe to the flat tax. And here he is at the prayer breakfast promoting the flat tax based on the tithe. Has nothing to do with anything, but I just thought it was... Uh, just thought it. Now, th- these are some testimonies from the past, but they speak so well to this issue of starting somewhere that I I want to repeat them. So let's watch these together. First thing we did was just gave what we could. We just ultimately were reminded that everything really belongs to God and it's all his. So we trusted him with what we could. And as we grew in the Lord, we trusted him with a little bit more and ultimately to the point of giving of a full tithe. I believe it was the first time after Glenn got here that he spoke on money and he did, he talked about the principle of starting somewhere. And um, we did that. We, we gave a little more, and a strange thing happened. Nothing. And what I mean by nothing is nothing changed. Kids ate every day instead of every other day, which I thought was going to happen. Um, cupboards were full. The refrigerator was the same. Pay all our bills. So I said, hey, well, give more. Same thing. Nothing. It kind of reminded me of Jesus and the, and the fish. You know, we just kept giving a little more each time, more and more and more, until finally we came up. And 
And it's just amazing that nothing's changed. Just to let people know who are trying for the first time, you just try a little bit and go a little more, get a little more. Make it a point to look behind you and you'll see how God's working in your life too. And that's what really gives you the encouragement to keep going forward and going forward. I can understand being scared to want to jump in and start with 10%. Start small. Start 3%. Start 5%. I have an unfair advantage in that when I was a little bitty kid and I got a dollar allowance, a dime of it, was a lot easier to do than when you're making 50 or 60 grand a year, 70 grand, and you're having to write out a big check every couple of weeks or every month. But, you know, start small and see if God will um, will bless you. And He will, because He has always blessed me. He's always come through. You give a little bit. It's like, okay, here's 3%, and here's 5 and then eventually you just work up to the full thing. And then you're just kind of like, wow, I didn't realize that this was going to get easier. And I know when we started, we weren't sure whether we would be able to make it. And uh, it, it's just, we were talking about it as we were driving here tonight, and it's kind of like Nike, just do it. We just started, and um, it, it's a, a step of faith. Um, the Lord says in, in His Word that tests me on this, and, and that's what we did, and He's been faithful to us, and I would just encourage anybody uh, to take that same step. Um, start somewhere and uh, see what the Lord will do, because He will uh, be truthful to His Word. Second part is hold the course, just like Scott was saying there. Uh, just uh, uh, test me in this. That's what God says in Malachi chapter 3. And I love what Chip Everett says. Wasn't that like the best? He said, I thought the kids were going to eat every other day. And lo and behold, we tested God and they ate every day. And so if you go broke, stop doing it. If you go broke, back off from it. But you know, in over 30 years as a pastor, I've never had a single person tell me that they had to do that. And then number three, continue toward your goal. Uh, one more time, and I won't bother you about this anymore after today. I want everybody in our church to read these two books. Treasure Principle, uh, Fields of Gold. Uh, Treasure Principle is so powerful. You saw how that affected uh, Ken in his testimony earlier. Such a powerful book. And then Fields of Gold. This, this is a, such a, a great, great book. Let me tell you, do, you don't have to raise your hand on this one. Did this whole talk, does it make you nervous? Does it make you anxious? There's this fear connected with giving. And the thing that Andy Stanley does in Fields of Gold is just like a laser. I've never seen a book like it that just simply addresses the fear of giving. Fear that, like Chip said, the kids will only eat every other day rather than every day. It completely addresses the fear of giving. Another, it's a quick read. You just fly through it in a couple of hours. Very fast read, easy read, a lot of great stories. And, and he just totally addresses the, the fear of giving. So if, if this makes you nervous, if this subject is something that uh, has, um, you know, makes us more of a, a fearful giver rather than a cheerful giver, if this is something that makes for fear, get a hold of this book. I've never seen such a great addressing uh, of the fear of giving as fields of gold. And so I want everybody in our church to read this one, Treasure Principle, and this one, um, Fields of Gold. Those are available uh, back there in the lobby, either at the Resource Center or at one of the tables. Uh, today, we're going to have prayer and anointing uh, for those that want prayer in accordance with James chapter 5. Right over here, the deacons are going to be in this room right off the worship center here. If you'd like prayer for a physical need or some other uh, need, any need you might have, they would just love to pray with you. If that would be an encouragement, the deacons will be right there in that door as soon as the service is over. So let's stand and uh, have our closing benediction.
Lord, I pray that over this four-week series that we've had, anything that I've said or that Pastor Peter, when he spoke last Sunday, said or the other three messages that I said, anything that's not of you, I pray that your people will forget that by the time they get home this afternoon. Anything that Peter or I said over the last few weeks that's not from you, I pray that they will forget. But anything that is of you, I pray that you'll help us to remember it and to have the courage, the faith in you, the trust in you to act on it. Lord, we don't want to finally figure out how we should live five minutes after we die. Your Bible tells us how to do that ahead of that moment. And so, Lord, anything that's of you, help us to remember it and to have the courage to put it into practice. And then our closing benediction is from Acts 20, verse 32. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's family said, amen. God bless you guys.